0: Heritage Foundation. I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. Turn on the nightly news. Go ahead, do it. North Korea is everywhere. This week, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un talked about dismantling missile test sites, nuclear fuel facilities... President Trump called it very positive. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is calling for a second summit with President Trump in the near future. That's according to South Korean President Moon Jae-in, who just finished up a three-day
1: summit with the North. Kim Jong-un. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un says he will suspend nuclear and long-range missile tests and shut down a nuclear test site. North Koreans. North North Korea. North Korea. North Korea. North Korea. North Korea. United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket man, man, man,
0: Whether it's nuclear weapons or sanctions, botched peace agreements, or the latest threat from Kim Jong-un, the amount of unresolved issues in the seemingly endless struggle for peace between the world... And North Korea is staggering. But here's something you might not know. The U.S., North Korea, South Korea, and China are still at war. After more than three years of fighting during the Korean War, instead of declaring victory or defeat, the fighting stopped due to an armistice, or a temporary stopping of open acts of warfare, by agreement between opponents. Or a shorter way of putting it, a truce. We have stopped the shooting. That
1: means much to the fighting men and their families. And it will allow some of the grievous wounds of Korea to heal. Therefore, I am thankful. The task now is to put the ceasefire agreement into full effect and get down to working out an enduring settlement of the Korean problem.
0: Recently, the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, met with the president of South Korea, Moon Jae-in. This was an attempt to show goodwill and move towards re-establishing commerce, diplomatic relations, and peace by signing a declaration to officially end the Korean War. But there's just one problem. In order for this to work, they would need the U.S. to sign off. And that poses potential problems. So why would signing a peace declaration be a problem? Isn't the goal to end war, not keep it going? Bruce Klinger has spent most of his life as an analyst following the Korean conflict, spending 20 years at the CIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency, and currently serving as a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. This week, Bruce sat down with us to clear up some of the confusion and cast a vision for building peace on a solid foundation. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Much of the dialogue has been about whether or not an official end to the Korean War should be declared. You've said that we should absolutely not sign a peace declaration. Why not? And what's
1: the risk of doing this right now? Well, having warned a lot about the North Korean threat and the threat of war with North Korea... It does seem a bit odd to be arguing against the threat of peace, as it were. Right. Um, but there's actually, as is often the case with North Korea, a lot below the surface that you sort of have to understand uh, so that something that seems good is actually not. Um, a peace declaration, and now not only North Korea but South Korea is pushing for it, uh, It would really be kind of a feel-good, amorphous you know, gesture that doesn't really – reduce the North Korean nuclear or conventional threat to ourselves and our allies. And it, and it could have even serious uh, ramifications for uh, the security of South Korea as well as our forces there.
0: Now, the South Korean president, um, I believe, said something along the lines of, don't worry about this. This is uh, ceremonial. It won't mean much because it's non-binding is that true or was that misreported
1: Well when I've uh, talked with South Korean officials and I've been there four times already this year and I'll be there twice more next month uh, yeah they they very much along the lines of look the the text is very short it's symbolic it's it's political it doesn't have any legal impact on US forces so why not sign it And I turn around and say well what objective are you actually trying to achieve and they can't really, identify it. I say, what is the specific quid pro quo that North Korea will give you in return for this declaration, which you can only do once? Um, or if North Korea feels less threatened, warmer and fuzzier, what what will that mean? How will they change behavior? And no one can really give an answer to that. So then it seems like, well, then why do it if there's not a real benefit to it? A few
0: months back, Trump famously went to uh, Singapore and met with uh, Kim Jong-un at the summit, as they called it. And uh, there's been a lot of talk of President Trump being open to another summit, another meeting with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. In your mind, what do we need to have happen in order for him to agree
1: to a meeting or another summit? I I think we do need a, a bit more tangible progress with North Korea. Uh, I, I'm more of a believer in the, the more traditional bottom-up approach where you have uh, U.S. and North Korean diplomats work and, and identify the differences, work to resolve them, have things on paper so that when the leaders get together, it's, there are no surprises. Now, others will see that you know, we've had eight international agreements with North Korea. and They've all failed given North Korean cheating. Uh, so why not do the top-down approach? So, you know, it's a valid difference of view. But I think what Singapore showed was really a lack of good preparation. The resulting uh, joint declaration or communique uh, was very short, uh, very sparse in detail, which is consistent with all the agreements we've had with North Korea. Uh, So because they're so vague, North Korea can have a different interpretation and then claim we're violating their interpretation. Mm. Uh, And I think what we need to do is have more of an example like – with the arms control treaties we had with the Soviet Union. We didn't like the Soviets, we didn't trust the Soviets, but because we had very lengthy, very detailed agreements where we defined everything, everyone knew exactly what their requirement was, and it also had pretty vigorous verification uh, requirements for all sides. So you
0: said you said tangible. What are some of those tangibles that we could see right up front.
1: Right. Well, what we'd like is for example uh, what's called a data declaration. North Korea gives all the information about its nuclear programs, its missile programs and perhaps even its biological and chemical weapons programs, like we did with the Soviets where you you hand over a thick stack of paper and it identifies every facility involved in the nuclear program, the missile program, the geographic coordinates, How much fissile material did they make? How many weapons have they made? Where are they? Do they agree to inspections of different kinds? And do they agree to abandon or destroy these uh, weapons and missiles uh, along agreed upon provisions? So that would be a real sort of even a beginning tangible. Bruce, total and verifiable denuclearization would be the
0: crown jewel of accomplishments for negotiations. Should we be willing to accept anything less than that in order to keep the process moving? What would you be comfortable
1: with? Right. Well, I I think it's useful to first point out that denuclearization is not just a a U.S. uh, negotiating position or, or objective. It's actually what's required of North Korea under 11 U.N. Security Council resolutions. So the international community, and that includes China and Russia, have declared and decided that North Korea must abandon its nuclear, missile, and biological and chemical warfare program in what's called a complete, verifiable, irreversible manner. So it's not just a U.S. request or desire. It's, it's the international community's requ- demand or requirement. So you know, we need to move forward on, on having North Korea come into compliance. You know, and also another bit of history is, is North Korea signed four international agreements where they promised never to build nuclear weapons. And then they signed four subsequent agreements, promising to give up the weapons they promised never to build in the first place. So we don't have a good track record of negotiations. Now that's not to say you don't try yet again, and we have diplomats to talk to people you may not want to bring home to your family, um, but you have to be wary, particularly given the the history. And and again, that's why I think we need you know very clearly written and delineated uh, you know treaties rather than sort of this let's just have. You know, a feel-good declaration. But you know, in addition to denuclearization, de- we'd like to address the very large conventional force threat, tanks and artillery, et cetera, uh, of North Korea to the south. They have a million-man army. It's, it's very forward deployed near the demilitarized zone between the two Koreas. Uh, they have many artillery pieces that without moving could hit uh, South Korea's capital, Seoul, right now. Uh, we'd like to implement confidence-building measures, you know, things that increase transparency so that the two militaries might be less likely to misunderstand or, or mischaracterize what the other is doing and then inadvertently start an attack or a, a war.
0: Son kyung shik is the co-chairman of a, a large company called the CJ Group, and he's the head of the Korean Employers Federation. He recently visited North Korea and said, quote, what they really want are investments to set up industry there, and they really want economic cooperation with the South. Obviously, the tough sanctions are working, if that's the case. So uh, with that, is it in the South's interest to reestablish commerce with the North right now?
1: Well, that's certainly what the South Korean president wants to do. Uh, president Moon is a progressive, a, a left of center president, and he was the chief of staff to an earlier progressive president called uh, No Mu Hun. And they both believe in, in what's called the sunshine policy. It's, it's from an Aesop's fable where the wind and the sun compete to get a man to take off his coat. The wind blows and blows, and that's seen as like a hard line policy, and the man just tightens his, his coat even, even closer. Uh, and the sun shines and give, makes the man give up his, his coat. And so the idea is if you give North Korea a lot of benefits, you know, front-loaded, eventually they'll start behaving themselves. I, I see it more like, you know, sort of criminal activity. A, you know, a policeman is there to respond to a criminal's behavior. And if they misbehave uh, and go outside the norms of international, you know, behavior, you know, then they are punished. Um, So North Korea certainly wants money. They want it really kind of free of cost. Um, And South Korea right now is very much pushing this because they feel North Korea will behave themselves or act better. Um, The problem is pretty much everything the South Korean president is promising economically would be a violation of UN resolutions or US law. So he's making a lot of promises he can't deliver on without Washington or the UN – Sort of bending the rules or making a, an exception for North Korea. So the analogy I think of, it's sort of like a policeman and a criminal sitting across the table from each other. So the U.S. sort of has the policeman viewpoint of, well, sir, it, it seems like you have a very lengthy criminal record here, but we're we're willing to sort of move beyond that. You say you're willing to turn over a new leaf. So if you would tell me what steps you're willing to take to convince me to reduce the, the penalties, to put you on parole, et cetera. Uh, we think that's reasonable given the track record. North Korea is more like the, the criminal saying, what are you going to give me to convince me to stop robbing banks? <laughs> We're sort of like, that's not how it works. But that's how North Korea sees it is they want to be convinced and they want to be provided with things so they'll stop violating the rules.
0: Bruce, when Gorbachev opened up the Soviet Union economy through glasnost and Perestroika, it was seen as the catalyst to the fall of the Soviet Union because once people got a taste of freedom, it was hard to suppress that. So in North Korea, if the sanctions are lifted and the economy opens up, could we see a similar result
1: as we did in the Soviet Union? Some will hope that. uh, Okay. and it can be done in a number of ways. It's either through just information exchange of people, sports teams, philharmonic orchestras. You know, if we all get to know each other, then we'll be less threatening to each other. Or economically, if we sort of reduce the rules and allow money and investment to go in, you know, it will induce North Korea to implement economic reform, and then that'll lead to political reform. So we can hope for that, and I think it's one of the reasons why. Along with other measures, we many of us advocate increasing information, both through overt and covert means, you know. But a number of things is what we're hoping is North Korea would implement what's called Chinese-style economic reform, um, but they've been very resistant so far to it. And if you think about you know the uh, how things worked between the U.S. and China. The idea was in the American business community initially was very supportive of kind of bending the rules to have a lot of investment in China. And the idea was once the, the Chinese citizens are able to make economic decisions when it's sort of capitalism is introduced, then they will demand the ability to make political decisions. And so from the, the Chinese citizens themselves, they would push for democracy in China. And then China would you know, be less likely to be threatening militarily. Well, we we do really have capitalism uh, to a degree in in China but it's still a dictatorship there's no right. r- political reform and we're even more concerned about chinese behavior so while we can be open to the idea we we can't just reduce the rules for international financial institutions um and we can't just really undermine us law or un resolutions by making a special exemption for uh, for the north
0: last question for you and, and I know this is similar to giving an eight-year-old $1,000 and taking them to a candy store and saying you can only have one piece. But I'm going to ask you this and do your best here. If you had the reins, all the reins to this situation, you controlled them, and we stand exactly where we do now, what is your one move that you make right now?
1: Well, I'd buy the candy store. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think we we maintain the diplomacy with North Korea. I think we give it another try, but we go in with our eyes open. Um, But we have to insist on very detailed agreements uh, with the North. We even have different definitions of seemingly straightforward words like denuclearization and the Korean Peninsula. So we need to define these terms. uh, You know, each side has to announce what they would be willing to do, and and you link that with the requirements. So I think we have carefully crafted diplomacy, but we have to insist that North Korea take a number of steps first because they're the ones out of step with the international community. Bruce, it's been a pleasure
0: talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this week's episode. We want our listeners to be apologists for conservative ideas. So if you're interested in hearing a specific topic covered, please leave us a comment or send us an email. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll catch you next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad. Want to learn how to podcast from some of the best in the business? Then you'll want to register for the Leadership Institute's Conservative Podcasting School on October 15th and 16th in Arlington, Virginia. The Heritage Foundation and The Daily Signal are proud sponsors of this event. Sign up today at leadershipinstitute.org. And as a listener of this podcast, you can get $10 off. Just use the promotion code book club. Can't make it in person? The training will also be streamed live. Again, it's leadershipinstitute.org.